Welcome to the Nordic Football Podcast, coming up on episode 5. Second bottom of the league, Trumsa have decided a managerial change is needed. Hear my thoughts on the sacking of Bord Flovik. I think the fans have wanted him out since the start of the season, and I think they want results again. That's what the fans want up there. They want to see a really hard-working unit, a disciplined unit, and Bord Flovik isn't capable of delivering that. match in focus we break down a fixture from a full analytical point of view and this week's encounter is the Rogoland derby between Viking and Hogerson. Um but yeah I felt that Viking were relatively in control to be honest I thought they they uh, as I said to you they looked well drilled and they did not look like a team rock bottom of the Norwegian league you know when you see a team in that position you think they're going to be hopeless but I really felt that they looked fairly decent. Over in Swedish football, John talks about the transfer of Kingsley Sarfo and the managerial changes at AFC and Kalmar. But he was at Burnley under 23s and by all reports was doing a fantastic job there um, and was thought of as a really you know, upcoming young coach. So whoever's been paying attention to that in Sweden, fair play to him. And did you know the Europa League qualifiers are starting this week? We talk about all the Norwegian and Swedish representatives in European football this season. Have you heard of the hashtag bed for Balamina? You know, with a with with bit of luck of a draw, you could really end up um, yeah, sleeping um, with someone rather quite nice. Welcome to episode five of the Nordic Football Podcast. Um, we didn't have an episode last week, uh, so we're glad to be back uh, here, aren't we, John? How are you doing, fella? Hello to everyone. Hello to Steve. Delighted to be here and looking forward to the show. Yeah, so am I. It's going to be, hopefully, well, plenty to discuss. I've missed you, uh, Steve. I've missed you. I've missed you. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've had a few problems recently with, uh, with fitness and... Uh, and everything my shoulder's been a bit uh, rough but uh, certainly on the mend now um in a much better way and um you know feeling stronger day by day no, that's good to hear i mean uh, you must have been enjoying the uh norwegian action I, I feel a little bit left out in the in the cold to be honest because of the swedish uh the break but uh, we've got a good show for you guys today we're ready for the show and uh, i've been brushing off on my norwegian football this weekend i actually watched a game we're going to be covering aren't we steve and i've been following the league fairly closely with obviously the dearth of Swedish football action but there has been some news in in both leagues uh transfers as well and we're going to talk about all that aren't we as the show goes on yeah there's obviously plenty going on uh we're getting into that real meat um and meat phase of the season aren't we where uh you know certain teams have got to make big decisions I know in Sweden there's already been quite a bit of a managerial merry-go-round um and I think that's going to start in Norway fairly soon especially with uh, their own little um, break coming up in in July, and um, you know we nearly well we're ha- we're nearly halfway through the season uh, in Norway now. Um, I think we're fourteen uh, rounds, so um, you know soon it's amazing how quickly it, it comes upon you, really. But um, yeah, just the second half of the season to go. Indeed, yeah, and actually that's pro- probably a good place to start, isn't it? I saw you commenting earlier about a, a sacking in Norway. There's been one 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 out the door, isn't there? And um, I think the first. Uh, when I checked the, the tweets about, I think it's Tromso, is that right? The first tweet I saw about the sacking of this particular manager uh, was one by someone called Mike Gill, who tweeted, that's great news with a few emojis. So it sounds <laughs> like there's been a managerial casualty, but hasn't um, doesn't hasn't disappointed too many people. 
Well, the first thing I'd like to say is um, th- th- this is the first managerial sacking in the Elita Serie in this season. And I think it's great that we're, we're 14 rounds in uh, for it to have actually happened. So I think it shows that the clubs are obviously quite uh, willing to be patient with their managers. And I think there's uh, certain leagues uh, who could take a, a bit of advice from that, if you know what I mean, John. Um, but um, yes, Bard Flovic has been sacked uh, from Tromsø, and um, this was probably always going to happen at some point. It was just a question of when. Um, you know, there were rumblings in the off season that he would um, he would go. Um, he came in and in 2015. He was the assistant to um, Steiner Nielsen, um, and he basically guided them to safety with three wins in the last four games that season. They only got 29 points, did the Trumpster. Uh, they were very lucky. The three teams below them that year uh, were just absolutely shocking. Um, 29 points will not keep you up uh, this season, I don't think. So, um, yeah, he, he did well to keep them up in the end. Um, last season, they were they finished fairly low, but I, I quite enjoyed watching Trumpster under board Flovic. I think they were more um, quite entertaining, um, interesting, and, you know, it, it's quite clear... Unlike historical Trumpster managers, he he was willing to be more offensive-minded and he didn't really care about defence too much. And probably ultimately that's cost him his job. They've conceded 25 goals, which is the second worst defence in the league so far this season. And um, only Starbeck have conceded more than them. They had an awful period two or three games ago. Valerenga scored four goals in the first 20 minutes against them. I think you watched that one, didn't you? Um, it's um which was quite shocking um you know it's, it's i defended him actually on sunday uh, you might have seen me tweet um yeah i thought they absolutely smashed sanderfield they should have beaten them easily but that sums up trumps of this season they just they can't finish chances and you know it's it, i i think there's quite a few positives to board Flovic, but inevitably i i actually do agree with the sacking because something had to change um in terms of squad talent on paper. Um, if we look at the table, they are second bottom. So you know, they're only three points behind uh, Lillstrom in 11th. Do you, you just said that you think it was a fair sacking. I mean, I, I saw a picture of him on Twitter when the, the press release what they released and he looks like a sort of a, a kind of Jürgen Klopp who's been put in a washing machine for a, for a few hours <laughs> and come out and looks sort of slightly haggard. Um, but you know, the fan reaction seems to be one of satisfaction. Uh, is there a reason for that? And you know, is he, you know, is it, is it purely down to the league position, or you know, why are the fans, why are fans so happy? Is it simply because of the t- league table or his personality or something like that? What, what what's made everyone so happy? I think the fans have, have wanted him out since the start of the season. I think they don't like his. It's not that they don't like his style of football. They, they believe that Trumpster should be doing better in terms of results. And look, I can't really argue too much against that. I mentioned the other week they've got a lot of uh, players in the under-21 team now. There's a lot of young talent. We discussed one of them, uh, Mikalinga Brixen, um, the other week on here. And one thing I'll say about Bordflovic, I think he's actually very good at dealing with with young players in sort of a man management way. Um, he was uh, he managed a lot of the sort of Norway under uh, 19, under 18, under uh, 17 level, um, which means he can obviously he's obviously got a good personality with with younger players. Whether or not he actually gets the um, the most out of the younger players, I'm not sure. Certainly in terms of tactics, um, that, that's his weak point, Board Flovic, is, is tactics. And he um, he's never really settled, settled on a proper system. And he's reluctant to to focus on defence, which traditionally up north, look, think about in English, English football, like Leeds and Newcastle as an example. You know, Leeds United um, fans quite happy to have a dirty, awful 1-0 win you know sort of physical game they love that Newcastle United would rather have a four-all draw wouldn't they their fans and I think Trumso um you know historically quite a solid club um keeping it tight and I think they want results again that's what the fans want up there they want to see a really hard-working unit a disciplined unit and Board Flovic isn't capable of delivering that so it's going to be interesting who who, who replaces him there's a lot of talk about um Norwegian le- legend Sigurd Rushvelt um taking over he um Obviously, has strong links with 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 Trumpster. Uh, a name that always seems linked um, these days with any club in the elite is Tom Tom Nordley. He was actually linked with the Viking job as well. 
um, in some um, newspaper reports um, in the last couple of weeks. I don't believe any of that there. I, I don't believe he'll get the Trumps a job either. Um, and at the moment, they've got a guy called Trills Jensen, who is the development uh, coach, and um, he's taking interim charge. So maybe he might get it long term. I don't know. But uh, look, there's some good, talented players in, in Trumsa. And with the right manager, uh, no doubt they will easily climb the table. Um, I think Board Flovic summed it up today, though, in the press conference. He uh, actually said he disagreed with him uh, getting fired. He believes um, injuries uh, are a big part to blame. And he thinks if they had kept faith with him, then they would have had no problems. And I, I kind of do agree with that. But something had to change. When the fans are so much on uh, a coach's back, I think the board have to react. And especially when you're second bottom of the table. So I agree with the firing, but I think no problem for Trump. So as long as they get the right manager in, they'll be fine. So it sounds like it's back to the drawing board for board. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where he's going to go. Probably in some sort of assistant role somewhere or a youth coach role. Uh, as I say, I think he he has a good way of dealing with youth players. Um, you know, I think he's a bit of a, you know, he gets on really well with them. And it's good to see that he's given youth a chance um, at this club. So, um I think um, Tromso will actually reap the rewards of some of his uh, work uh, in the next couple of years. Interesting stuff there. So, I mean, it looks like we're, I mean, uh, the brief outline of this podcast is where we are actually going to eschew the uh, talent corner and the team analyses till next week, aren't we? We're going to go for something different this week. Yeah, I think we're going to go for a um, an in-depth match analysis on the uh, Viking against uh, Hogsund. And, um, uh, you know, I know, I managed to persuade you to to watch this uh, game, didn't I, John? And um, I do believe you quite enjoyed it. I did indeed. I set my calendar yesterday to uh, sit down for that game on your advice, uh, a local derby. And, yeah, we're going to go for a slightly different uh, format of podcast this week. So we're interested to hear your feedback, guys. Don't forget you can follow us uh, at Nordic Football Pod. Uh, Nordic Foot Pod actually at Nordic Foot Pod, and um, we're keen to hear your feedback. But yeah, we're going to go for a kind of a Andy Andy Gray and Richard Key style uh, proper match detailed analysis of this game, aren't we, Steve? So um, perhaps you want to kick us off with your take on the two teams and why this was such a big game and why we're analysing it. Yeah, well, we've talked about Viking quite a lot in these podcasts, and um, you know they are at the bottom of the table, um, and heading into this game, they only had eight points, and they were. Uh, uh, quite a few points from safety. Um, Augustin themselves, uh, solid mid-table side. They'd just beaten Rosenborg last week, which is a fantastic result, result for them. A local derby. Um, you know, passions can run high um, in this sort of match. Last year, both were quite defensively sound, but the actual fixtures um, exploded into life. So, yeah, I think uh, we were expecting a high-intensity game. Um, a lot of pressure on Viking to, to try and get the, the three points. Um, and they were very close to getting them in the end, weren't they, John? Yeah, I, I enjoyed the game. Uh, I, f- I found it quite interesting. And what I liked, obviously, derbies are always, always passionate affairs, aren't they? Um, a lot of pressure under for Viking, uh, who are a team we've analysed in depth before, aren't they? Uh, the manager we've analysed there and assessed the team in focus on, I think it was podcast number two, which you can listen to, obviously, on iTunes. And... Your analysis was that you felt that Viking were not as bad as the table suggests and that they were eventually going to push out of it. And I have to say that watching the game, I did agree with your analysis. You know, I, th- I felt that they, they kind of dominated the game, really, didn't they? And, um, you know, they they were fairly unlucky to concede a late, late equaliser. It was interesting because you were, um, you know, Steve was actually, you know, just addressing the listeners here, Steve was actually saying to me, as the game went on, that he, you know, there's a risk that <laughs> Hogerson would get back into the game, and that's exactly what happened late on. Um, so you did call it, actually, Steve. But I mean, what I'd like to do with this match in focus is let's begin with the sort of tactics of the two teams, and I'd like you to maybe break down for us uh, why this was such a big game in Norway, besides being a derby. But just from a tactical point of view, um, what was your assessment of the two teams? I mean, I look at it now, and one team lined up in a four-four-one-one. Is that right? And one in a four-two-three-one. Yeah, Ian Burknell's been uh, lining up in a four-two-three-one uh, all season. You know what you're going to get with with Burknell's uh, side. He's been trying to drill them into this um, into this formation all year. And I do believe one of the things you said 
um, in the first half was they, they did look really well drilled and disciplined and uh, and really, you know, um, that, that certainly worked from a tactical point of view. I think the first um, uh, 70 minutes, well, set for 70 minutes in this game, I think Viking really played well, actually, and they, they should have had the match sewn up. Um, as I say, if it's 4-2-3-1, and the interesting tactical thing from uh, Viking's point of view um, they, they, the uh, Usman Sale, um, now this is someone who caught your eye. He's been sort of used in in a lot of different roles this year. Um, but he, he lined up on the right wing in this particular game, which I think actually suited his attributes really well because he's a really fast-paced, pacey sort of guy. Um, he doesn't always... Um, he's sometimes a bit blinkered in terms of uh, passing, but... Uh, it, it certainly worked for him in the first half because he delivered a really, really good assist for the goal, which um, I thought was a really good goal, actually. Uh, great cross in and uh, Questia Paya um, out-muscled um, Hogerson's right back to uh, put a great header into the back of the net. So it, I think it was a great move putting Sale on the right-hand side uh, in this game. And, you know, some would say he was probably the standout performer in the game. Uh, and you might agree with that one. I liked him, yeah. I was uh, intrigued by him. Uh, it was a beautiful cross, wasn't it? I thought it was just, you know, a really nice cross. He seemed to be very lively as the game wore on. Um, you said that he's been kind of maybe slightly inconsistent, haven't you? It, I mean, for those who don't know him, he's a 21-year-old Nigerian called Usman Sal, and I think I'm right in saying. Um, and he plays as a wide man, doesn't he? And he was he played on the right wing in this particular game. But is that always his position? Well, when I, on my uh, database, um, which I've mentioned before about, um, I've got a list of um, all the teams, all the players, and I had him down as a, a primary attacker in um, attacking midfield, left wing and right wing. He started on the left wing against um, Starbeck, I do believe, uh, a few weeks ago, and he was on the right wing against Arsund. Uh, but he kind of he, he drifts in, in all three of those positions, really. Um and I, I think he's probably best out wide on the right from what I've seen, certainly in this particular game. He, he's a really fast player. Um, I think he's got, he's got technique in there as well. It's just about making the right decisions at the right time. He was unlucky not to score, I felt. I mean, some might say, oh, he's finishing. Finishing simply wasn't good enough. But um, it was close, wasn't he, to find the back of the net. And... Uh, yeah, I think it was. He was a real, along with Samuel Adig and Benro. Um, I think they had two real dangerous players um, on the field. Did Viking here, and they caused all sorts of, of havoc, didn't they, as a duo? Yeah, I mean, Ali Benro was the player that I was most looking forward to watching when I when I tune in for this game. He's one you've mentioned before, uh, and he's quite highly rated, isn't he? I mean, I believe the clubs have been looking at him. Uh, another Nigerian, uh, 21 years of age as well, I believe. So, I mean, the tactical, you know, they that was the tactical system. They had Alec Benro and Sal on the wings. They had a player called, is it Batiki? Yeah. In the attacking midfield role and then that behind Kwesi Apia. Well, Batiki, he's actually better out wide. And this is the thing, um, you know, he... <laughs> I think he he didn't even last the hour mark, Batiki. I think um, they brought another guy on uh, around that mark. He's better out wide. But when you have two better players than him on the wings, then it makes sense that he has to drift to, to the centre, really. So I think it was a right decision to have the um, the, the two guys out wide. Um, Batiki didn't really have as much influence on the game. Apaya had a good match up front, I thought. I've criticised the Viking strikers this season, but he actually... He's one of the few who's found the back of the net a bit more of late. Um, you know, maybe he's starting to settle down a bit more. So, um, uh, one thing I also want to say before we move on to talk about Hogerson a little bit is um, I thought the Viking defence looked quite solid for most of the game, um, which is interesting because Michael Ledger um, actually left the club before this game. He's been he started every uh, match um, of the season, the guy on loan from Sunderland. And I know he's been linked to some uh, clubs in Europe that you were talking about. I think Mainz were one of them. Well, I say I didn't think he was particularly special in his in his loan spell for Viking. He did an all right job, but um, uh, some people were saying that they were going to miss him quite a lot. But actually, the guy who came in, Rasmus Martinson, um, you could tell he um, he was lacking a bit of match fitness. But definitely, yeah, and he went off about the 80th minute. But uh, I thought he did a pretty good job at the back. Um, 
I didn't see them conceding the equaliser. I thought they looked defensively sound for once. Um, certainly better than in in, in recent matches. Um, did did you feel like they were under a lot of pressure in this match, John, or not? Uh, personally, no. I, I mean, yeah. Quick, just touching on Quezzi Appiah there of uh, Margate and Ebbsfleet fame, isn't he? He's famously played in non-league and been around the block, as as you said. So he's turned up in Norway and um, was the target man in that game. Um, but yeah, I felt that Viking were relatively in control, to be honest. I thought they, they, uh, as I said to you, they looked well drilled and they did not look like a team rock bottom of the Norwegian league. You know, you, when you see a team in that position, you think they're going to be hopeless. But I really felt that they looked fairly decent. And then, you know, obviously Ian Birchnell there, you know, we, we're supporting him in his role there. But, you know, not, not just saying that, I think he, you know, they they looked like they, they should have won the game. And I think that is maybe a cause for concern when teams consistently tend to dominate and, and, and can't finish it off. That That is a, an alarm bell, isn't it? I mean, what I would like to ask you, Steve, is you know, tell us about Haugesund and their setup. You know, how did they... Are they usually under pressure this much in games? Was it because it was a derby? Uh, was it something tactical? Relate, you know, I know they played more of a traditional kind of 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1 kind of setup. But, you know, tell us about their side of things in this game. Well, Augustine played a 4-4-2, uh, I think, for the first um, eight or nine games this season. And since then, they've been a bit inconsistent with tactics. I think they tried a 4-3-3 a couple of games. And now they've moved to this 4-4-1-1 with Harris uh, Hazrudinovic in this attacking midfield role. Um, and you could argue that he's, he's their best player in the squad. Um, I don't really know if that's his best position. I mean, to be fair, he's the sort of guy who can play anywhere in midfield. Um, I would say probably left left midfield is his, maybe his best spot but I'm not sure I like him in this uh, attacking midfield role um, they're, they're a funny side uh, August, and I, I really struggle to analyse them properly, they keep a lot of clean sheets and um, perhaps one of the reasons for that is the, the form of their uh, young defender Frederick uh, Knudsen who um, made some rather outspoken comments about Nicholas Bentner last week actually um, he's been very solid this season Um Alongside him, uh, obviously, the other centre-back, uh, Skirve, he equalised. Um, they're, a t- they're a tough side to, to sort of analyse, really, uh, Hogson. Who, who out of their players caught your eye in this match, John? Yes, well, you know you know me, Steve. I was looking at it with my kind of scouts cap on as well. And instantly, the player that stood out to me, I know that perhaps he's not hugely well-known at the moment. But, you know, I always look for just a little thing, uh, you know, one or two things that stand out to you in terms of their approach or their, their balance or the way they take take possession, little, little things. And the player that I liked was um, the centre midfielder called Bruno Light. Uh, I believe he's Portuguese, um, centre midfielder. Uh, he seemed, you know, fairly sort of tall and um, dominate, domineering. I, I liked him because he just showed like he had a bit of an, a nice touch, uh, a bit of an eye for a pass. And I, I feel he looked to me like a player I'd like to watch again, if that makes sense. He looks to me like one who could maybe... Yeah, in years to come, grow and and, and become, uh, you know, improve significantly. I'm not sure how he's done in general. Maybe it was just a one-off or maybe, you know, I was reading too much into a few things he did in the game. But what's your assessment of him personally? The other one I liked as a keeper. So those are the two on Haugen's team that stood out for me. Yeah, Bruno Leiter, um, I, I think he's done all right since he came in. He started off on, on the right-hand side of midfield. Um and he's moved to central midfield, where I think he's probably better suited. Um, yeah, inter- interesting player. I completely agree with you about the keeper, uh, Bratvite. I think he, um, I think he was possibly a candidate for man of the match. He made two or three really crucial saves when it was one uh, nil, and uh, obviously in the last uh, kick of the game, he made the save from the free kick. That was fantastic, and- wasn't it? That was a great save. Yeah, I mean that's a save that's earned them a, earned them a point. Um, I think that would have actually been would have been a goal with a few other keepers in between the sticks. And uh, yeah, he had a great. I think he's um, he's been playing quite a bit of under twenty one uh, football for Norway. So you can see why, can't you? Um, yeah, Hogson's a difficult side to, to analyse, and but they're unbeaten in four games now. Uh, just one goal conceded in in that period. So look, I think it's really encouraging for Viking how they they. They really deserve to win the game, didn't they? And it's encouraging that, that they did that against a, a solid sort of mid-table team who just beaten you know, Rosenborg and Alsen. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Ian Burton was absolutely scratching his head about um, how they keep dropping these points with, with the late goals. I mean, just before we finish, 
in your experience, how can how can a, a team keep conceding late goals like this? Um, how, and how do you stop it? I mean, I looked at the the, the equaliser again, and it's from a throw in. Um, the big lad at the back and Hudson won the header, and then it's just got a lucky ricochet, really. I would say off off another Augustine player, and then you know the, the centre back has shown a lethal finish. So, I mean, it was a bit lucky in a way, but it's just the way things have been going for Viking. It's these late goals keep coming, John. Well, I have to be honest, and I think that is a worrying sign for any team when they can see goals like that. I mean, actually, the manager did say at half time. I was watching the half time sort of analysis, and he was saying they got out of jail. Uh, with a chance that was given offside, I think, wasn't it, uh, in the first half. And he, he kind of had said to his players that they need to stay alert. And I felt that they should have killed the game off. I don't know, is it maybe something to do with strikers aren't quite finishing chances? I mean, I know they hit the post. Uh, Adi Benro had one very good chance. Is it more the fact that they just lack the concentration? That's one for the manager to decide. And, you know, that is a, I'd say that's a worrying thing. I mean, do you think, is this something we've seen a lot? with Viking and is it something that you see happening more and more or are they getting closer to you know ironing out these creases oh, it's running the mill for them mate every week uh, this happens they miss chances um you know they're getting to the stage now though where if they're if they get ahead in a game they need to get a second goal to kill it off because the inevitable late equalizer will come against them the one thing I will say on a positive point of view this week I didn't see it coming um and in the past I have seen it coming in this particular instance, I thought they were going to hold on and win it one nil. They looked comfortable. They, they, were, I thought they, they handled the pressure a lot better. And uh, you know, this equaliser came out of the blue, really. So maybe that's the positive in terms of they, they weren't getting themselves under pressure. Uh, but you know, end of the day, I think conceding this goal is going to put them back to square one, isn't it? It's going to put the doubts are going to remain in the mind. Um, and um, you know, hopefully, from their point of view, they can. They can sort it out, but I, I mean, I don't know from your experience, it's quite hard to iron this sort of thing out, isn't it? I think the one thing for sure is that I'll be, I'll, I'll be keen to watch them again. I think they were the sort of team, they didn't bore me to tears, they weren't a negative side, you know, they didn't look like they're afraid, if that makes sense. In, in terms of, you know, they're not afraid of going down, if, if that seems to make sense. You know, they, they weren't sitting back and scrapping for a point that, you know, they should have won. Um, I'm interested to know what you think, where you think Haugson go from here, because they're bang mid table. Eighth, eighth place. Uh, where do you think they go from here? And you know, the, I thought they were. I didn't think they were great, to be honest. Well, where they go from here is Northern Ireland, actually, in the uh, European uh, matches. And we're going to talk about that later. Um, a difficult question. Augustund, uh, I think they're going to end up around mid-table. They're um, they're not a side um, I have a great grasp on, to be honest. They're one of the tricky, trickiest sides to predict in the Elitasarian, in my opinion, because. A few reasons. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to just do what they've been doing, um, tick along mid-table, and, and and that's where they're going to end up. Hopefully, from their point of view, they're going to have a European run. So, all right, well, uh, thanks for your um, uh, analysis uh, on this game, John. I enjoyed talking about it. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break now. In the second half of the podcast, we are going to be talking about uh, Swedish football. Um, there haven't been any matches on, but plenty of transfers to talk about and uh, managerial changes and uh, John's going to give his insight into um, into that part of the uh, country uh, after the break and also we're going to be talking about all the uh, Euro teams that are involved in European football uh, from the Elite Serien and Al Svenskan so join us after uh, the interval um, and we'll talk some more uh, Nordic football Welcome back to the Nordic Football Podcast. This is going to be uh, the Swedish section, and um, I'm sure you're absolutely chomping at the bit for the return of the league uh, soon, John. Uh, the matches resume uh, this coming weekend. Um, but in the meantime, there's been uh, a fair few transfers in Sweden, um, and one of the ones uh, we're going to talk about is Kingsley Sarfo, who you um, went into detail uh, in one of the 
previous podcasts. And he did say that uh, he wouldn't be lasting long at Sirius. And that's proven to be the case because Malmo have snapped him up, haven't they? What are your thoughts on this transfer? Yes, Steve. Yes, very exciting one. And I'm, I'm eager to see the new, uh, well, the return of the old Svenskan. Uh, I've been, been missing it. Yeah, Kingsley Safa, we called it, didn't we? Uh, we, we? We mentioned him, obviously, in, um, in podcast two, I believe. And I mean, this is not really, you know, it's not like we've uncovered some sort of hidden treasure here. This is a player who has been dominating the league really for, for serious anyway this season. Um, been the standout player, I think, along with maybe one or two others. But he's been the the, the shining light. Uh, I would suggest listening to podcast two if you want to get a kind of uh, insight into him again in uh, in terms of his characteristics. But what you know, in terms of this deal itself, I think I think it's a one point three million pounds. Uh, deal of roughly 13 million uh, Swedish krona around that around that value. I think there's a, a sell-on clause for about 20 or 30 percent, roughly. So Sirius have made themselves a, a fair wedge here. Um, although we're not sure how many, how much of that they'll see because of the various interested parties. There's a few, you know, agents who've helped the deal go through and that kind of thing. But I mean, e- either way, it's a huge amount of money for a club that of that stature. You know, they're they're, they're a small club in Swedish football terms, let alone European terms. And I think it's a really good pickup for Malmö. I think that's a good signing. Uh, they've plucked one of the best talents in the league and I think he can develop as well from here. You know, people kind of, when he, they went through many, were calling him the Swedish David Silva, which I, I quite liked. Beautiful left foot and, you know, he's, he's a talented player. And he can progress from here, really. I think the two big questions that I've got to ask you... Um... How much of a difference is he going to make to Malmo? Um, and also from Sirius's point of view, uh, how are they going to cope without him? Um, I mean, the obvious thing is they've got a bit of money to spend um, to replace him with, but it's never as simple as that sometimes, is it? Um, you know, it's, it, this sounds like the sort of player who literally is irreplaceable. Well, I mean, you, you know, football, Steve, everyone has their price. Uh, and people thought that... Um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo was irreplaceable for Manchester United and, you know, so on and so on. Thierry Henry at Arsenal, you know, that's the wheel. The wheels of football turn, don't they? And, you know, Kingsley Safa had become an almost indispensable player. Um, but, you know, Sirius, uh, Sirius are not to be underestimated. I think they've been really, really good this season. They've really impressed me. I think it, they have an excellent manager, in my opinion. Uh, what he's done there, you know, to get them to where they are in the table, they're in the upper, upper reaches of the table, I think top five. Uh, you know, so although they're a small, they've had, they've had, they've been decimated with injuries this season as well. They've had so many injuries, suspensions uh, to an already small squad. So in terms of Sirius, I think, you know, they will, I think they'll survive uh, to, you know, use an Abel, a Gloria Gaynor line. Um, but I think they've already dipped into the transfer market today, uh, you know, today, in fact, they've signed a player called Elias Anderson from Varberg Boys, uh, which is a second division team in the, in the Super Essen. Now, I don't particularly think he's going to set the world on fire. I saw him in one game live this season, and I didn't think he was, you know, hugely impressive, but maybe that was just a one-off um, a one-off game. So it remains to be seen where he'll fit in. But, you know, their, their recruitment generally has been pretty impressive. Um, a player I particularly like at Sirius is Mo- Moses Ogbu, who I think, you know, we may talk about in weeks to come. But he's a, he's a key player. I think he's got five, six goals uh, in 12 games this season. He can play midfield, centre midfield or attack. I really like him. I think he's, along with Safa, the two, probably the two most important players at the club. And, um, you know, whether Anderson could come in and fill Kingsley Safa's boots, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think I, I think they will have a dip now. Maybe they will be looking mid-table. But I think survival is really the main aim for them. So um, take the money while you can, I think. And the potential impact at Malmo, is he going to be a difference maker for them? Yeah, that's a good question. And it remains to be seen. I think, you know, do Malmo, well, I think this is more of a general wider question, isn't it, about the Swedish football. Do do Malmo need a difference maker? They're already um, comfortably the best team in the league, really, best squad in the league. So do they actually need a difference maker? Well, who's to say? But one thing's for sure, they've got themselves, a, uh, I think, a really good deal. You know, the money that they spent for a player with that ability, if he can progress, maybe if they can coach him and give him that 
extra one or two percent, you know, even five percent maybe, uh, playing with better players, playing in a bigger stadium, a bigger stage, um, you know, passes that will be picked up by more intelligent maybe or slightly better quality players. You know, that's only going to improve him. So his level should go up. And if that's the case, you know, they've got themselves a player who whose value will probably go up four or five times in the next couple of years. Uh, and then they can make a nice profit on him, you would imagine. I mean, one thing to point out is that he actually really wanted to stay in Sweden. Um, he's not too far away from being eligible for a Swedish passport. Uh, so he, I think his intention is to play for Sweden in the long term. He was called up by Ghana, but turned them down. So I think this is part of a wider plan for him as well to kind of stay in Sweden, maybe a year, another year or two. He turned down moves from office from abroad, I think uh, Turkey and Russia. And so I think, you know, it's a good deal for all parties. Yeah, he certainly sounds like a bit of a shrewd deal, I must say. Um, now let's move on to some of the managerial changes. And I do believe now the bottom three in the Arsvenskan have all um, changed their manager. Um, we've talked about AFC uh, sacking um, their guy in, in previous podcasts. Um, uh, they have now named their replacement, and it's uh, Englishman Michael Jolly. Um, but it's anything but a happy situation that he comes into, isn't it? Here, four points on the board for AFC um, at the moment. Um, now, Michael Jolly, what do you know about him, John? And um, is he the guy who can lead them to a what would be rather a sensational survival now? Yeah, funnily enough, I do know a fair bit about him. He's, uh, I know that he's very, you know, um, on just what we try and highlight and identify up upcoming managers uh, from time to time. Uh, we've interviewed some managers, for example, Danny Cowley, when he was at Braintree Town before he went to uh, Lincoln and got to the FA Cup quarterfinal with Arsenal. Um, we interviewed him well before that when he was at Braintree and was doing really well there. Did him as a manager to watch in the future. Um, he's one of them. I was quite surprised at how quickly he's he's progressed now into the where he you know a, a coaching role, his first coaching role, full time you know as a, as a manager, first team manager. But he was at Burnley under 23s, and by all reports, was doing a fantastic job there, um, and was thought of as a really you know upcoming young coach. So whoever's been paying attention to that in Sweden, fair play to them because they've they've you know had the, the same foresight really, and they've 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 um, They've gone for something different, you know, someone who's not maybe from the beaten track of Swedish football. So it's going to be really interesting. And obviously, uh, the manager, Michael Jolly, will follow in the footsteps of the likes of, you know, Graham Potter, Roy Hodgson um, and managers like that. So, you know, English managers in, in Swedish football. So I, it'll be a challenge for him. I, I say what I mean, first and foremost, from um, from this particular podcast, I think we've got to wish him the best of luck from my point of view. And I'm sure yours. It's great to see um, an Englishman managing abroad, isn't it? Um, so uh, very best of luck to, to Michael in this position. Um, he's got a big task on his hands, but, um, you know, uh, with a bit of new impetus, and I'm sure he's one of these sort of modern thinking coaches, maybe they've got a half a sniff of survival, do you think? Well, the first game coming up this weekend is um, just the, you know, small matter of uh, Malmo away. So it's an it. Uh, baptism of fire for for the manager there. His first ever game at, at the home of the champions, um, separated by I think a grand total of twenty three points uh, after twelve games. So that shows you the dist the distance between the two teams. So if he was to pull out a result there, it would be you know huge. Um, but yeah, it will be you know like you know it's going to be hard for him to go into a club like that and and you know turn things around straight away. But you know that's what you know managers, especially managers who are looking to get their first role in, in coaching. You know, it's, it's a juicy one to get your teeth into. Um, I've said it on the, I think we analysed them on pod two or pod three. They were the team in focus, and I said it at the time, and I, I stick by it. They aren't the worst team in the world. Uh, I think their position in the table is maybe similar to Vikings in the sense that they aren't as bad as the table suggests. Uh, defensively, they are a nightmare, but they have some decent players going forward. And I think if Michael Jolly can find the right balance, maybe bring in one or two players, uh, solidify the, the backbone of the team, then I don't think it's un, you know I don't think it's infeasible that they could survive. But it will be a, an uphill battle for him, and you know they'll be looking at teams like Hamstads and Kalmar um, as the ones they need to you know 
basically outdo in the in the weeks to come with 18 rounds left so yeah it's a real it's a real tough job i think you know as your first job it is a you know i don't think anyone can accuse uh michael jolly of, of, of shying away from this challenge that's for sure because it's a real you know tough one and they could get relegated but at the same time if you look at it optimistically then if he gets them out of that pickle then you know that's a huge achievement in your first role so good luck to him yeah very uh the best of luck to to michael uh jolly there um Actually, uh, from a betting point of view, uh, Malmo, they're minus two Asian handicap for favourites this weekend. So I think the expectation from the bookies is that uh, they will take a bit of a battering. Okay. Both teams to score for you over 18s. You probably get decent odds on that because I'm sure um, the expectation is Malmo would uh, would actually win to nil. So uh, worth checking out that little price. Um, now, the other team down in the relegation zone is Kalmar. They have also changed their manager. Uh, what are your thoughts on the situation here, John? Yeah, I, th- I think that was probably coming, to be honest. There was a lot of rumours about Petter Svard, who was the outgoing manager, that you know the, the, the squad was deeply unhappy with him. Um, a lot of unrest. They were tipped by every, almost every pundit going pre-season to be around mid-table, uh, maybe upper mid-table, sort of sixth. But they are currently 14th, uh, you know, third from bottom, um, in a bit of a relegation battle. And they've gone back to the future, so to speak. They've taken back their old manager, the, the uh, famous legendary Kalmar coach, Nani Bergstrand returns. Uh, previously did 13 years there, uh, 13 seasons there, sorry. Uh, won the title, took them to the you know league, got them promoted, won the league. Uh, their first ever league, ti- first and only league title in 2008. Um, famous team with you know the likes of uh, Patrick uh, Ingleston, who was a top scorer at the time, and yeah. I suppose it's one that kind of seems to make sense, really. You know, going going back to what you know, if that if that makes sense, and you know, see if they can get out of it. Yeah, I mean, of course, the interesting thing is that third bottom team does play in the relegation playoff, doesn't it? So that isn't necessarily the worst position to end up in. Um, I mean, of the three teams down there, we talked about uh, Halmstad in the previous podcast. Um, it sounds to me like Kalmar uh, are the most likely to to move out of the the relegation zone. Would you agree? Well, they've had real trouble with injuries. Uh, for, that's you know been one of their problems this season. I think I mentioned before. I, I thought they're one of the worst teams in the league in the, the level of football they played. I went to see them play IFK Jotterburg, and I think they lost three nil. I was talking to a scout at the game, and he uh, he just shook his head and was like, "What is this?" <laughs> he was this good, to be honest. He was disgusted at, at their football. Uh, they were really, really poor, and I think that was a low point for Peters Fard. You know, that, that was when things really turned against him. Um, you know, it was conference level football to be honest. I mean, IFK aren't haven't been doing well too well this season, but they just brushed them aside, and you really felt like Kalmar could be in trouble on on the evidence of that game. Nano Bergstrand is you know seasoned seasoned manager. You know, I wouldn't say he's a Sam Allardyce because Sam Allardyce never won the never won the title, but you know he's that kind of you know I think he's a he's an experienced hand, isn't it? They've gone back to what they know. Someone who will I think he'll focus on defence first. Uh, a bit like he did when he took the job in the first place. You know, he had a clear idea of how he wants to play. He'll try and solve the defensive side of things first, then maybe develop the kind of offensive side of things. So I think they'll look to be begin with maybe you could expect some draws here and there, tight games, and then he will look to maybe build and using the window as well, perhaps. Or if returning players come back from injury, then, you know, they'll look to develop the offensive side of the game maybe as the, as the months progress. But it, it will be a tough ask, but they're not too buried yet. So it's, they've probably made a change at the right time, you might argue. Interesting thoughts uh, as ever, John. Now, before we move on uh, to something else, um, a bit of a topic which involves both Norwegian and Swedish football here. Um, Valerenga player Rasmus Lindqvist is heavily linked with AIK uh, in the transfer uh, market. And... Um, if this uh, transfer goes through, um, I mean, basically, the way I see Linkvist, I still think he's a, a better left winger than he is a defender. But right now, he's a converted uh, left back. Um, do AIK need reinforcements on the left-hand side of the field, John? Well, I mean, there's rumours of outgoings at AIK and, and some incomings too. So it's fairly difficult to answer that. I mean, they've got... A- I, I have to be honest, I don't know much about this player, Steve, so 
I think I might turn this one back round on you and say to you, you know, what kind of player is he? Do you rate him? And is he is he good enough for a, a club like AIK, a big club? I, I do rate him, yeah. Um, I, I rate him as a, a left midfielder or a left w- winger quite highly, actually. Um, he's been converted into this left back, um, which uh, last season I just found really strange. And uh, I have to say, when he first started the role, you could tell he was a left winger in a left back spot. He was left exposed. Of course, the big positive, when you're actually going forward, you get um, a lot more creativity, um, you know, from that um, full-back position. So um, he's become a far more versatile player than he ever was before. Um, I I like his attributes. I mean, I would imagine he could go quite well at uh, AIK. I just, I really would be interested if they get him, what exact position they they want to, to use him in. Because... Um, you know, as I say, I still believe he's he's actually a better left winger or left midfielder than um, than he is at the back. So that would be my my main question. I think. Well, if he's a left if he's a left back, if he's kind of a they'll, they'll use him as a as a wing back. I'd imagine in that case, and the player that would be under under threat then would be um, Stipe Vridalak. I think I've pronounced that correctly. I'm not sure, but he's he's been their main left wing back. Uh, wing backs are positions that they could use maybe. Um, reinforcing or at least having some competition there, uh, you know, in their three sort of three three one four two system they play. Uh, so that would make sense actually if he's going to be a kind of dynamic winger. Uh, if he's of the level of Swedish football, which you know, do you do you think he is, and do you think he could go into a, a top club like ARK and improve them? I think possibly. I don't see any reason why not. I mean, I wouldn't have him down as um, a special player or anything like that. So I think he'd have to work hard to to maintain uh, a place in the team. Uh, but there's potential there for sure. Um, it's going to be interesting to follow this this transfer window. I mean, I think there's going to be all sorts of activity going on in both Norway and Sweden. And uh, we will hopefully keep you up to date with those on the Nordic Football Podcast, giving you our strong opinions on the main deals. So, um Actually, uh, the final thing is before we move on to talk about the European um, qualifiers upcoming. Um, Sweden under twenty ones, uh, John. I know you followed this tournament in detail. What was your what, quick assess, quick assessment about how they did? Well, yeah. Before we just move on to them briefly, I, well, I just wanted to say that if if I okay need a player, then they definitely need to look at their uh, strike force. Probably is the main area. Um, but well, I guess we'll come on to that later. But they they do need reinforcements there in terms of the euros yeah, it was a disappointing one wasn't it they they, they crashed out and uh, the holders were out um i, I didn't think they were much to uh, write home about to be honest I, I you know should have been in england but didn't um in the first game i think they drew that game and mr linot linus wildquist who's probably a contender for one of the worst players of the tournament in the end even though he's very highly rated at no shopping uh, he had a mare. He missed a penalty in the last ten minutes, which um, you know let England off the hook. Or you know, uh, Jordan Pickford saved it, but I think it was a poor penalty in my opinion. Um, and he made a couple of mistakes in the following games. Yeah, they they disappointed me to be honest, Steve. I didn't think they they lacked a spiritual leader, you know, and I think that's one thing um, I would I would say uh, in the 2015 there that spiritual leader in the form of John Gu- John Guidetti who led the team from the front and was a real kind of bond between the fans and the and the team and gave them that impetus. And I think they just lack kind of characters in this game, I felt, in, in this tournament, I felt. They didn't really have anyone who looked massively, I won't say bothered because that's slightly unfair, but they didn't have anyone who's really driving the team forward and offering that, you know, impetus and that belief and, and drive on the field. Um, so, yeah, I was quite disappointed with them, to be honest. Yeah, I think the that first game against England, that was crucial, wasn't it? They really should have won that game, and it, it kind of um, went downhill from there, really. Okay, now the... I, would, I just want to, sorry, before we move on, I would say I, I was impressed with the keeper, um, Kajtofta at Jonkop in Sodra. I think, I don't know if I said that correctly. Uh, my pronunciation of their, that team is quite poor, but um, Jon Shopping, I think it is. But yeah, the keeper, Kajtofta, was a, a, their standout player for me. I thought he was really good. Uh, and he's one I think is going to be looked at by clubs in the months to come. Yeah, I mean, there's always a bright spark in in, in every team, isn't there? Even the ones that um, do work, perform terribly overall. Uh, it sounds like he's the one of the main positives to come out of the the tournament for them. Okay, Anton Kajtoft. 
good name. Good, good, good player. <laughs> right. Okay. We're going to move on to the Europa League qualifying. Um, and uh, it starts already this this early. Um, obviously, the, uh, the big teams don't enter it till September. But we've got some Norwegian and Swedish teams in action this week. Um, from a Nor- Norwegian point of view, um, they're facing a Northern Irish challenge. Augustunder against Coleraine and Odd are facing Valley Mina United. Now, in terms of uh, Europe, um, UEFA coefficients, the Northern Irish League is ranked 46th. And even nations like Luxembourg are ranked higher than the Northern Irish League. So really, no disrespect, but you would imagine both of these teams should be getting past Northern Irish opposition. Um, and in terms of Sweden, AIK, they face a trip to the Faroe Islands, John. A team called Key Klasvik. And you would imagine they will get past that. Um, I mean, the real meat of this Europa League starts in, in the second qualifying round, though. And... This is where we've got some interesting games. And starting with um, Ostersunds against Galatasaray, um, that is a pretty plum tie for a team from Sweden, isn't it? Huge, yeah. I mean, it will be the biggest game in their history, without probably a shadow of a doubt, I would imagine. Uh, Ostersunds, who, you know, under Graham Potter, their manager there, an English manager, he's been absolutely sensational. Uh, the things he's done there, taking them up, you know, a few divisions up to the Osvenskan. Won the cup now, Swedish cup, and now they're in the Europa League. Uh, Galatasaray is a, a massive game. Uh, some of their players were tweeting after the draw in disbelief and just sheer delight. And you know that sums it up really. They're 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 buzzing for this one. And uh, yeah, it's going to be. I think that's from I think from a Swedish point of view, that's the tie of the round. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. Potter's yeah. a really tactically diverse manager. You know, one who's. He will play different lineups, different kind of formations, he experiments. He has all kinds of ideas. Once um, asked the team to put on a play uh, as a kind of team building exercise, there to organise a play. And you know, he's full. Of, he, he, I really like him as a manager. I think he's, you know, he, he, he could end up going back to England and going to quite a big club. Um, so, although Galatasaray will be the huge favourites, I, I do think. Uh, sorry, I do think they they will look at this one as a night to never forget type thing and really go for it. Yeah, a fantastic draw for, for them, isn't it? Galatasaray are actually the um, the third highest rated team in this uh, uh, qualifying uh, round. And, um, you know, obviously the positive for, for Ostersund, if they did uh, get past them, then they would be uh, seeded for the third qualifying round. And that's really important because that is when teams like Marseille, Everton, Bordeaux, they enter this uh, stage, uh, AC Milan, PSV, and you really need to be seeded in the third qualifying round if you've got a chance. And um, the positive, i say, for AIK from Sweden, they would be seeded um, if they made it this far. So would Bran in uh, Norway if they made it this far. They've got a tough test against a team from Serbia called uh, Vovovidina, who uh, they were third in the league behind the two um, teams from Belgrade uh, last time. And then you get past that, you've still got to go to the final playoff round. It's really, really difficult for, for these sides to make the Europa League group stage, isn't it, John? Uh, do you see do you see any of the Swedish sides making it that far? I think I think it's a difficult time to to make predictions, to be honest, Steve. It's it's hard to say because there'll be a few factors. Uh, ring rustiness with over a month off. Uh, teams have been playing friendlies, but you know, um, you know, Austin's actually beat Hammerby. 3-0 in a friendly, and they've, they've looked fairly sharp. But, um, you know, there is an element of ring rustiness there. I do want to ask you a very quick question there, Steve. Uh, and this is one for the listeners as well. And I'm, I'm going to open this one up. If anyone can tweet us the answer to this without looking at Googling it, we will give them a, a special shout-out. Can you tell me Coleraine's nickname? Um, I haven't got a clue. I mean, it's, this is something wacky, isn't it? Um, not a clue. I mean, I don't. But I'm going to open it up to anyone. If we have any listeners in uh, in Northern Ireland who uh, want to tweet us the answer, or anyone else who knows that bit of random football trivia, I will be very impressed. So, but yeah, no, Steve, tell me about the Norwegian teams. Who's 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 going to progress, and who who's you know who you got your eye on? What game? Well, I, I would I would hope that Odd and Horgerson will get past the Northern Irish opposition. I don't know anything about them two teams. I must admit but you would hope that they can get past that. Then in the second qualifying round, 
Um, Hogerson have got a tough, tough task. They would face Lech Poznan from Poland. I'd be surprised if they got past them. Uh, Odd would face Bala Town or Vaduz, and I would imagine they get uh, through there. But then they would be unseeded in that third qualifying round, and you know they could end up playing someone like Everton uh, or Marseille, and they, <laughs> they're not going to get past past that. But you never know with a good draw. I think the best chance of progression in the Europa League for, is Bran. Um, they enter in the second round, so they bypass the first round immediately. And then they face this this Serbian team, um, Vojvodina. I, I mean, I've got to say, I know nothing about Serbian football at all, but they are, um, I, I mean, the, the Serbian side are expected would be the favourites. But if Bran could get past them, they earn themselves a seeding spot and then, you know, it really opens up the draw. So I think there's a chance that Brand could have a bit of a run. Um, but I'd be surprised ultimately if they did make the group stage. Um, just mo- talk. Yeah. Have you heard of the hashtag bed for Balimina? No. Yeah, there's a there's a hashtag going around where uh, odd, odd fans, I think, are offering them uh, beds for the night, kind of like a accommodation. Uh, a campaign where Bellamina United fans needing accommodation can get a bed or a sofa in the homes of odd supporters for free. So, um, yeah, they're having a bit of banter, those two clubs, on on Twitter, which is really, really good to see. And, uh, I don't know if you fancy going home and sleeping with a few odd fans' uh, couches there, Steve, but, yeah, that's a nice gesture, isn't it? Well, a very nice gesture indeed. And, um, you know, with, with, the, with a bit of luck of the draw, you could really end up um, yeah, sleeping um, with someone rather quite nice, couldn't you? Um, but uh, yes, um, it's it's going to be interesting watching these games. Uh, before final point, before we end the podcast, we're going to talk about. I know it's a bit further down the pipeline, but the Champions League um, representation and Rosenborg they faced Dundalk, who uh, had a run in the Europa League last year, didn't they? The Irish side. Um, I've got to say, from my point of view at the minute, Rosenborg do not convince me, and. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even be shocked if the Irish outfit got past them. Um, Malmo, they are facing uh, Vadar um, in their first match, and you would, you would expect they get past them, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm too busy looking at the bed for Balamina hashtag, to be honest. Um, yeah, I might get myself down there. But no, no, uh, Malmo, I think, you know, there's been some... There's been some controversy on that one in the sense that the team they're playing wanted to switch their tie to Serbia uh, just for the convenience of the, the stadium, you know, for a, a better stadium, I think, a bigger stadium. But that was rejected by UEFA. So they're going to have to play that one in, I think, the national stadium. Um, I believe I'm not 100% sure on that, but they're going to have to, their, their request was rejected. Um, it's it, Like I say, it's tough to forecast these ones because you're relying on factors like motivation, hunger, you know, who's coming back into form from pre-season or various holidays. Um, so it is, you know, you do get the odd upset, don't you, uh, Steve, in these kind of fixtures. But Malmo will be looking to get into the Champions League group stages for sure. And anything less than that, I think, would be considered probably a bit of a failure considering they tend to dominate the league in the last year or two. Um, I think I've looked, they've got a big problem though. Um, you know, presuming they get past this first team, they, they would actually be unseeded uh, thereafter somehow. Um, I don't really know how this, they really they miss out by like one, one spot on the seeding. So immediately, immediately after that, they could be facing the likes of Celtic or Red Bull Salzburg or FC Copenhagen. But at the end of the day, if you want to make the Champions League, you've got to beat a side like that at some point, haven't you? So, I'm sure they've got the capabilities, uh, but I think it would be quite tough for, for Malmo and Rosenborg to to make it to the actual Champions League group stages. But, you know, there is always that chance of a place, uh, get a good run, you can get a guaranteed place in the uh, Europa League group. Who's the, sorry, who's the highest ranked Scandinavian club in the UEFA coefficients out of interest, do you know? I think it's actually, um, well, well, we have to say Copenhagen, won't it, in terms of Scandinavia? Oh, of course. Um, but in terms of Norway and Sweden, I and mean, be Malmo. Uh, actually, Copenhagen's coefficient thirty-seven point eight. Uh, they were actually that they are actually the third highest ranked side in this uh, in the Champions route of the Champions League. Celtic, Red Bull, Salzburg, Copenhagen. They're the top three ranked sides. After that, I mean, I suppose you wouldn't mind facing the likes of Karabag or Maribor or even Bate Borisov or even Luda Gerets, I guess. So you know, it, all isn't lost, is it? If you are unseeded, there's. Um, every chance you could could make it to the Champions League group stage, which, of course, is extremely lucrative, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, it's funny. I mean, you say that, but if you look at Ludogorets, Barte Borisov, I think you said a Maribor there. I'd be interested to see if you if you did an analysis of those three clubs over the last sort of five six seasons in the Champions League versus you know Nordic teams. I think you'd probably you might find they've been in the Champions League group stages more often. So you know these clubs can't over underestimate you know clubs like Maribor. But yeah, it's a big challenge, and I think it would be nice to hopefully get a, a Nordic team in the Champions League group stages this season. Um, so yeah, um, you know, obviously, if one of the teams like Ostersunds maybe can progress in the Europa League, that would also be fantastic for the region. Yeah, I really am cheering on every side. Um, you know, I really hope it would be great to get a side um, from either nation, uh, make it as far as the groups, and you know, it gives us something else to talk about, doesn't it, John? If you, could stick, if you could stick your neck out and predict one team to the furthest, you've brought, I mean, you mentioned already. Are you sticking with them? I'm, I'm saying, I think. Um, I mean, I think AIK, AIK have got a good chance in, in Sweden and making the, the group stage. Brann have probably got the best chance in Norway. We know Malmo have got the, the quality to go to, to go deep. I mean, I would love to see Rosenborg have a run, but I just for me, the squad isn't good enough. I just couldn't imagine them getting past a team like Celtic, you know, or, or, or even someone like Apoel um, Nicosia. Like last year, they knocked them out and... I don't think Rosenborg have got it myself, but yeah, well, I'm going to stick my neck out. Maybe go on. Let's say Brand Malmo and AIK make it to the group stages. How about that? Sounds good to me, Steve. All right. Well, thanks very much for your input on this podcast as ever, John. Um, we are hoping to be back later in the week for a more normal podcast where we're going to be talking about teams in focus, um, some talent in focus, and preview of the upcoming weekend matches. But from this particular podcast episode five it's goodbye from me uh, take care everyone hope you join us for future episodes goodbye i'm off to get the bed for Bellamina hashtag and see what see what's going on get yourself down there mate <laughs> <laughs>